0: In this week's episode, I'm joined by Teresa Fletcher-Brown, who's a director and EEO officer for the Chicago Transit Authority. This week, our conversation is about Illinois becoming the first state to ban book bans, New York City paying a minimum wage to food delivery workers, and more. Hey there, my name is Bernadette Smith. Welcome to 5 Things in 15 Minutes, my weekly show where I bring good vibes to DEI. That is good vibes to diversity, equity, and inclusion with a little dash of corporate social responsibility. What I've found is that there are lots of news stories about what's going wrong in the world and lots of negative data. But there are also a lot of things going right. That's what I like to focus on. I search for DEI stories that we can be inspired by and learn from. My hope is to inspire you to experiment with some of these inclusive actions and policies within your own organization to help you build a more inclusive world. Let's get started. Teresa, will you please introduce yourself?
1: I would be happy to, good morning. And Bernadette, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about being here. As you um, mentioned, I am Teresa Fletcher Brown, Director of EO and Compliance Programs for the Chicago Transit Authority. I am a transit professional with over 25 years of transit related experience and I currently um, oversee CTA's diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. My team and I host a diversity conversation in the workplace called Common Grounds. Um, We host that platform on a monthly basis, and we discuss hard topics. We talk about um, the, the, the hard things. We make sure that we're bringing truth Um, and honesty to people's lived experiences. And so I'm very excited to be here today with the Equality Institute and you to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I love what you're doing with the Common Ground series. I mean, you are, your employees are really at the front line. Um, So many of them are working directly with customers or passengers, whatever. Is that the term you use, passengers? or Customers. Customers, Yeah. And so I would imagine you all see a thing or two, um, and there must be a lot of hard conversations that come up during those common ground sessions. So can you talk to me a little bit about how those sessions have been helping your employees sort of process the, the everyday experience of what they see?
1: I would love to. So, Common Grounds is my baby. I literally launched Common Grounds in 2021 here at the CTA. We had a diversity and inclusion task force before that. Thankfully, we have a president that focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and so we had a larger task force chaired by my CAO, Tom Cone, and. Um, I just felt like, you know, at the level that we were operating at, the information or the messaging was not reaching um, our frontline employees. And it wasn't reaching, for me, a target audience, which was really middle management. As the EEO officer for the CTA, Um, My team and I investigate claims of discrimination and harassment in the workplace, right? And so we don't want people experiencing discrimination, especially um, based on various protected statuses like race and gender and things like that. And so I have to be honest that it was very self-serving. I thought, if we can talk about the hard stuff, if we can have a conversation with middle management and encourage them to bring their team to the discussion, how could we impact Um, the cases, the claims that we see about um, individuals or groups of individuals feeling like um, they are being discriminated in the workplace, especially racial discrimination. As and I identify as a black woman, my pronouns are she/her. It's important to me that people that look like me, people that I identify with, um, that they're not experiencing that type of harm in the workplace. So Common Grounds was launched in 2021. Um, originally, we thought it was heavy and and kind of lofty, and so we were sort of unpacking topics like. Unconscious bias and institutional racism. Um, we were unpacking those topics over a quarterly basis because we thought we really need to have this conversation and be intentional about it. But now um, we've evolved and um, each month we pick a different topic and um, we just have the conversation. Last month I was very fortunate to have two outside speakers Um, And you should come and speak to Common Ground sometime. Um, We love to have um, outside speakers so that I am not the only person facilitating these monthly conversations. But last month, um, because it was American or Asian American and Pacific Islander month, we had a guest speaker from that community. And it was also Jewish Heritage Month. And so we had a speaker from that community as well. So that's what we do at Common Grounds.
0: I love it. I absolutely love it. And I think it's so important that your work really revolves around Improving the the work experience for people like you and people from other marginalized groups, because I can imagine that it's got to be pretty tough for lots of reasons. So, you know, when things get tough with work and when you are investigating charges of discrimination that maybe sometimes feel a bit close to home, I can imagine that must happen from time to time. So, how do you, what gives you hope? What gives me hope? You know, I'm hopeful um, about a a lot
1: of things, so I'll I'll, I'll make it um, both uh, personal and professional, but I'm hopeful that CTA allows me to do this work. There are still organizations grappling with how to talk to their work, um, talk to their employees about um, things that we're talking about very freely. I asked for permission um, to launch Common Grounds, and I was not only granted the permission, but I was granted the support. I'll give you a quick example. Um, Last month. During the event that I talked about, where we had two guest speakers. Long story short, we had a, a cha- we had a problem with um, getting our marketing material out in time. And so the day of the event, I only had 40 people registered. And typically about half of my registered participants actually show up. I sent my boss an email. Now the event is scheduled to take place at 1130. I sent him an email at like nine o'clock and said, Hey, I've only got 40 people registered for this event. And I'm gonna be really embarrassed if they are talking. Talking to an audience of twenty people, I need more people. Can you, you know, send something out? And within moments, um, the numbers started ticking up. I, I ended up with one hundred and ten people, I think, registered for the event, and about eighty-nine to ninety of those folks showed up. So my point there is, I get supported. And that's so important. So for me, I'm hopeful that I work for an organization that not only allows this to happen, but that they support it at um, various levels in the organization.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great story, Teresa. And I think that for everyone listening, get the leaders to say, go to this event, right? I think that it's so important for leaders to attend themselves Yes, and to, you know, encourage other folks to attend, even if it is because they feel like they need to be seen by leadership. It is a pretty (laughs) powerful incentive for folks. So I think that's a really great tip there as well. You know, in this week's newsletter, I was writing about just sort of being a little bit fatigued myself, seeing that a little bit in some of the audiences that my team has been working with this month. Fewer questions in some of our workshops than in the past. And so just sort of wondering if there's this sort of more general sense of fa- DEI fatigue happening, um, and if there's if that's something that you're witnessing as well. I would agree. Um,
1: this work is is heavy. It can sometimes feel burdensome, um, especially as a person of color. Um, one of the things that I talk about is you know don't make the individual who's marginalized or the marginalized groups become your Wikipedia. Like there's a <laughs> lot of conversation out there about, well, I, you know, I'm curious and I want to know more. And that's fine, but there's so much information available on you know, on online, on blogs, on posts, on podcasts. I mean, there's just information overload. If you're really curious about this DNI space, so the fatigue is real, especially for people of color, especially for women, um, especially for any individual or groups of individual who are marginalized. So the fatigue comes from that as well, but. I am hopeful, and I am—I'm really appreciative to be in this role. And I didn't start here. Uh, my journey um, to this DEI space was really a long one, and one that I didn't even know that I'd end up in. But um, because I'm so passionate about the work. It doesn't feel like work all the time. I enjoy the work that I do in this space. I have become certified twice as a diversity, equity, and inclusion um, executive. And so I'm really passionate about it, and I'm happy to fight the good fight and continue fighting the good fight. So while it is heavy and, and, and we can often feel fatigue, and I think that's natural, I think we pick the mantle back up and we keep doing the work that we're passionate about.
0: Well, those are wise words, and you fit in right here in the (laughs) five things Good Vibes in DEI universe, so thank you so much. All right, so let's get into this week's Good Vibes. The first story comes from the University of Maryland at Baltimore, which held a separate ceremony this month to honor therapy and service dogs conferring dog degrees on the companions of three recent graduates. So this event was about recognizing the dog's important role in providing comfort and assistance to students and patients. little feel-good story to start us off, Teresa. For sure, for sure. Well, the first thing
1: that I'm thinking is talk about inclusivity, right? <laughs> um I think that's great. Um I have no, you know, subject matter expertise on it, but I think that that's great. I I have people in my life who are members of the disabled community. In fact, I have a staff member Um, who is disabled. And while I don't believe he uses a service dog, I am fighting the good fight right now to um, get the door on the floor that we work at, at CTA's headquarters, put on an automatic um, button so that he doesn't have to fight with the door when he comes into his workplace every day. It is not equality, right? He has unequal access to his workplace so i'm fighting that good fight right now but i think that's a great story and go doggies that's
0: right that's (laughs) right and thank you for fighting the good fight internally at your company as well your organization all right the second story comes from right here in the state of illinois which became the first state in the u.s to ban book bans our governor, J.B. Pritzker, signed a law making Illinois the first state to withhold funding from public libraries that ban books. So that's something that's actually been happening across the country, libraries banning books. And this new law requires libraries to adhere to the American Library Association's Library Bill of Rights, which promotes freedom of information and prevents censorship.
1: Wow. So I, I, I heard, heard that story and read the story and um... I think it was last week. You know, my first thought on that is great. Like, Illinois is the first state um, to put a ban on banning books. Great. But I'm also a little disturbed by the fact that we even have to, right? It's 2023, and we're seriously talking about banning books. And as you mentioned, so many states have moved in that direction, I, th- I think in the article that I read, it mentioned the number of states, and it might have been something like 22, don't quote me there, but the point is, we have a number of states that are seriously panning books, it feels very much like Fahrenheit 457, which I believe was written in 1957 about book bans, literally not owning books, and so it makes me sad that this is a conversation that we have to have and something that is happening. But I am also so grateful to governor Pritzker for uh, moving ahead with this and, and being the trailblazer in this area. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> I know. I, well, you know, um, Teresa, some of these good vibe stories are really, you like, really we're still talking about this stuff or finally, or it's about time, you know? So <laughs> and a, you'll you'll hear that recurring theme so let's get, let's get to the next story. Next story is about the creator of Arthur who has created a new TV show called Hop, a new animated series for preschoolers featuring characters with disabilities. So Hop is an enthusiastic, empathetic frog with one leg shorter than the other. And the show is about teaching children about embracing their uniqueness through comedic adventure. So the disability nonprofit RespectAbility is consulting on the series, and Hop himself is voiced by an amputee. So really doing a nice job here. Absolutely.
1: Not familiar with the show, but now I have to go and look at it. I have a, a niece who is uh, nine months old, and we expose her to all things that um honor and promote inclusivity. So yet another story about being inclusive, and I love it, right? That This is the work that we're doing. And the more that we actually show inclusivity and we um, promote, including everyone, equality means everyone, right? Being inclusive means everyone has a seat at the table. And I am extremely excited to know that this show is out there and that People from the disabled community who have children who, you know, talk about these things in their household, but our other households also talking about it and being exposed to it. So it sounds like a great show. I look forward to uh, looking forward and, and and introducing my my niece to it. Um, we uh, we look at um, uh, one of the shows, and I'm forgetting the name of it, but um, they do sign language. And so I just think it's so important at a very young age to expose children to um, these type of uh, platforms. And so I'm really excited about that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it represent, it shows that representation matters to them. I mean, children with disabilities now have the opportunity to see people like them on screen, and it normalizes this. So it starts to become less stigmatized. All right. The fourth story comes from New York City, which has a new policy that's establishing a minimum pay rate for food delivery workers, starting at nearly $18 an hour beginning in July and increasing to nearly $20 an hour in April 2025. So this is for delivery workers who currently are earning an average about $7 per hour in New York, where the cost of living is among the highest in the US. So pretty amazing to see policy sort of filling in the gap here because these people are uh, undervalued.
1: Let that sink in for a minute. New York is one of the highest real estate markets in the United States. And a person or persons or groups of individuals earning less than $10 an hour as a living wage It's not a living wage. You can't live off of that. So once again, I celebrate the fact that in 2023, the great state of New York and the great city of New York have decided to um, pay um, food workers uh, a living wage. $17 an hour is certainly, um, you know, needed. Probably a lot more than that is needed, but um, good for them. I I celebrate that. I think that is, you know, great. I wonder what was the catalyst other than the obvious being that, you know, people can't live off of $7 an hour. I know that the food industry, the restaurant industry relies heavily on tips and sometimes they happen and sometimes they don't. So pay people a living wage so that they can earn a living and, 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 you know, have shelter and food and all the necessities of life. That's great.
0: Exactly exactly when um when prices of everything are going up wages should be going up uh correspondingly for sure at least okay so the last story from this week is from the u.s army which has renamed a base in honor of sergeant william henry johnson a black world war one hero so fort polk which was an army installation in louisiana has been officially renamed fort johnson whose courageous actions on the front lines earned him the nickname black death and a posthumous medal of honor in 2015 awarded by president obama
1: nice nice you know the there's the, the the story you know that a lot of military bases had you know historically been named after generals and you know war veterans um but many of whom were associated with slave ownership, um, associated with um, you know things that we you know don't want to continue to honor. Um, so I think it's wonderful that um, this gentleman is being honored. And a base being named after him um, after so many years of, you know, us trying to right the ship. I think there was another, um, I'm not sure if it was a military base or it was a, a building, but a building that was being named recently after a Native American. Um, individual And, you know, there's always a little bit of groundswell when those things happen. Sometimes people from the community feel a certain way. They've caught it one thing, you know, for so many years. But we have to stop honoring people who are on the wrong side of American history. So I'm really excited about this story and good for them for taking that, you know, that leap and having the courage to do so, especially in the South. That doesn't always happen.
0: Yeah, and we're seeing a lot of that happening. Um, I think this is probably the third or fourth time I've talked about this type of story on five things, maybe even this year alone. There's certainly been a few in the past few months. So, you know, when, when I hear those stories, when I find those stories, you can bet I will bring them up on five things because these things still matter, don't they?
1: They still matter. We just talked about representation, right?
0: Representation matters. Exactly. Well, this week's call to action is a wonderful handbook, a transgender family handbook prepared by thecut.com, which offers 144 specific suggestions curated from transgender young people and their loved ones. And it is a great resource if you know someone whose child recently came out as transgender. So check out that resource and thank you so much for joining. Teresa, thank you so much for being a fantastic guest this week. Do you have any uh, parting words, or how, and how can people contact you if they wanna connect with you?
1: Sure. Um, So I am on LinkedIn as Teresa Fletcher Brown. I uh, work for the Chicago Transit Authority. We are a public agency. You can find me through CTA's website or call our one 888 cta And ask for Teresa Fletcher Brown. They would be happy to connect um, you with me. And Brenda, I just want to again say thank you so much um, for having me. I want to share a really quick story I About six months ago, I was cleaning uh, an office of a former employee and came across some notes. Probably wasn't six months ago because at that point I had already met you. Um, but I came across some notes where your name was scribbled and the Equality Institute was scribbled on it and the, um, the note indicated, call her. And so I'm not sure if they ever did, um, but I think it is fate um, that um, I am here today. And I, again, I just want to thank you for um allowing me to be here with you on this platform. And I really enjoyed it.
0: Wow. That's really well uh, fortuitous, right? I love, I love it when we are, when the universe brings people together. So thank you. Thank you again. And really appreciate all of your wisdom today. You have such a, a great wisdom about you. And I know all of our guests can, can feel that. So thank you so much. And if you don't already get the five things newsletter, you can subscribe at five thingsdeicom Have a great week. Thanks, Teresa. Thank you for listening to Five Things in 15 Minutes. I hope you found yourself inspired by at least one of this week's stories. If you did, would you mind sharing it with a colleague and leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform? And if you don't already get my Five Things newsletter, join at fivethingsdei.com. I'm Bernadette Smith. And I'll see you next week right here for 5 Things in 15 Minutes, bringing good vibes to DEI.